The information provided in this show is intended for your general knowledge only and is not intended to be, nor is it, medical advice or a substitute for medical advice. If you have or suspect you have a specific medical condition or disease, please consult your health care provider. Now listening to the Health Hero Show with Tim James. <laughs> What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here, founder of ChemicalFreeBody.com and your host for the show that defends public health by simplifying and demystifying how to live an energetic life with a flat belly. So if you're into freedom, a healthy gut, and staying young, this is the show for you. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here with another exciting episode of the Health Hero Show. Today in the house, I've got Dr. William Davis. Um, You might have heard of him. He has a book out there called Wheat Belly, and that is what we're going to drill down on today. Um, I'm really excited to have Dr. Davis on because, you know, if we were in a world where man wouldn't mess around with stuff and just leave it alone in its natural state, uh, Dr. Davis and I probably wouldn't even be on here today, but since that has happened and we live in a crazy world, and that's what I really want you guys to think of when you hear stuff like what we're going to share today, do, doing what we're doing in our lifestyle is not crazy. How am I going to do this in the real world, you know, in the real world, this crazy lifestyle in the real world? It's completely inverted. The question to ask yourself is how do I live in a real way in a crazy world? Because that is where we're at today. When you take uh, a plant like wheat, and you genetically modify it, disrupt its um, internal metabolism, and you spray it with glyphosate, and you hybrid it, you do all these things, um, it's just not going to work that well in your natural body because you've diverted that natural source from nature. And then when it comes into your natural body, it just kind of messes things up. So Dr. Davis and I are going to be here to clear that up for you today and hopefully steer you away from certain things that are causing underlying health issues, and it's especially wheat, and it's in everything in the grocery store today. Well, almost everything. But Dr. Davis, I want to thank you for coming on to the show today, my friend. How are you? I'm great, Tim. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, my, my pleasure, man. I'm glad to have you on. We can do a deep dive. So why don't you tell the, the listeners, like, um, like, who is Dr. Davis? Um, what, what, what did you do in your career? And then how did you get into writing the book wheat belly and kind of sounding the alarm about wheat? Well, I was practicing what's called interventional cardiology and, uh, that's putting in stents and doing atherectomy, drilling through arteries, those kinds of things. And they brought me to Milwaukee, Wisconsin from Cleveland, where I did some of my later training. And they brought me here to get all these new technologies set up because they weren't uh, really keeping up here. So I did that. But a few months in, Tim, I got a call that my mom had died of sudden cardiac death after her two-vessel coronary angioplasty. So she was in New Jersey, here I am in Milwaukee. But uh, she died of the disease I thought I was managing in a cath lab. But it was an illustration to me that it is silly and it is inadequate to try to manage a disease like uh, heart disease in a laboratory, in a cath lab. So I asked myself back, this is 25, 26 years ago now. I asked myself, what could I have done better for my mom and other people? Can we identify potential for that kind of thing, like heart attack and sudden cardiac death, a year ahead of time, two years, five years, 10 years, and not rely on something as silly and useless as cholesterol testing, which should have been abandoned decades ago, but it makes too damn much money for pharma, big pharma. But back then, it remains true today. Well, you just blew me blowing this on YouTube. 
<laughs> that's, that's okay. I got three strikes against me anyway, so the hell with them. Yeah. Keep going, brother. Uh, so uh, back then, it remains true today that the only way to identify the potential for those kinds of nasty events is to do a CT heart scan and generate a coronary calcium score. You can see calcium very easily, and you can quantify it precisely. And it's a dipstick for atherosclerotic plaque because calcium occupies about 20% of total plaque volume. So if you know that, well, if you got two cubic millimeters of calcium, you got 10 cubic millimeters of plaque. And so we started scanning people left and right. We helped publish these data. So a normal score is zero, increasing scores higher and higher and higher, worse uh, disease. So hundreds, thousands of score. Uh, score. And so we're scanning people and getting scores of 300, 500, 1,000. And these are people like you and me, going to work, biking, working outside, no symptoms. This is not people in the ER having chest pain, can't breathe. Uh, these are people like you and me being screened for early or silent coronary disease. Tim, it's everywhere. We also showed, helped show this. If you do nothing, the score goes up 25% per year. It's horrifying. It grows like weeds. Or, or like uh, toadstools after a spring rain. Uh, and, and with each increase in the score, you get closer to dying, heart attack, sudden cardiac death, et cetera. Well, back then, we helped show this also. If you put people on what to this day, Tim, is still called optimal medical therapy, baby aspirin, a high-dose statin cholesterol drug, uh, low-fat diet, low-saturated fat diet, exercise program, how fast does a score go up? 25% per year, it doesn't do a damn thing when you watch it by that measure. Well, what do you do? People are freaking out, right? I got thousands of people saying, what the hell do I do? If my score was 500, now it's 625, now it's 781. And when you get to about 1,000, Tim, the, the likelihood that you die or have a heart attack is about in the neighborhood of around 10 to 15% per year. Now the, the clock is ticking, you know? Right. And so what do you do? Well, I started to explore, what can we do? The experts didn't know. The so-called experts actually said this. Uh, you know, since we can't put a stop to the progressive increase in calcium scores, don't let people have another scan. Let them have their heart attacks, then manage it. Uh, I thought that was criminal. Uh, now, another answer is from some of my colleagues who uh, a good portion of them are unscrupulous and said to people, hey, Tim, you got a bad score. It's your walking time bomb. Let's do the real test, a heart catheterization, see if you need a preventive stent or bypass operation, which is malpractice, but it's done every day in every city. Okay, so hold on a second. I want to just really pause for a moment to clarify what you just said so the listeners don't miss this. Number one, the industry itself is saying let's not worry about these calcium scores allow them to have their heart attacks and then manage mm -hmm. that's what they're telling the doctors mm -hmm. and who's who's saying this is this the medical board no these are people authorities who publish data on various aspects of heart disease that the doctors are reading the little you know, they're reading the studies. Well, they don't probably actually read the whole study. They read the synopsis and just go off of it, right? Reading editorials, opinion pieces, things like that. The, and this is places opinion. where doctors frequent, cardiologists would frequent. These are in medical journals and articles and stuff where they're consuming data. They, they read, but I wouldn't say frequent, though, because one of the sad uh, truths in modern healthcare is the flood of data, flood of evidence is so overwhelming now that most practicing physicians 
get, this is true, Tim. I, it sounds terribly cynical, but I'll tell you, I, I saw it happen all the time. The majority of new information doesn't come through science and journals. It comes through a sexy sales rep in a miniskirt who promises dinner and all expense paid trip to Orlando. No, no joke. That's yeah. how a lot of information is passed on to practicing physicians. Yeah, I've seen that. And then the second thing, I think I must I might have forgot about it, but um, you, what was the thing that you said after that that they're doing? So they they want you to manage, just manage their heart attack, and then it. Oh, and then oh, and then you said, then they don't do the calcium score. Then they do the one you the, the other test that you said that doesn't work, so that they can set people up for stints. What was that yeah, test? There's a lot of that going on. I, I can't I can't vouch for your safety, Tim. You're a walking time bomb if you don't go through this heart procedure. And we're so we're talking about people not having chest pain, having heart attack. We're talking about you and me and your listeners going about their business, no symptoms. You just know that maybe you so so this is such an effective technology, it can predict your heart attack 10 years from now. Uh, but what do you do to stop it? That's the that's the tough question. That's the question I were I've been I've worked on for the last 20 some years. And you know, Tim, it, you can do it. It's, it's actually quite easy to put a stop to the progression of coronary atherosclerotic plaque, but it requires com completely different way of looking at heart disease. One, forget cholesterol. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's an outdated technology, literally from the 1950s, from the NIH, National Institutes of Health, in an effort to indirectly quantify the particles in the bloodstream, the lipoproteins, the fat-carrying proteins that actually cause heart disease. Because it's very difficult to count those tiny microscopic particles. So they used cholesterol because these particles contain cholesterol, among other things. And they used cholesterol as an indirect uh, way to uh, measure how many of these, of these particles are. Well, guess what? We've been able to measure those particles for over <laughs> 25 years. I've been doing it, for, and that, but that's called lipoprotein testing. And when you do that, and you have all these people who've had heart attacks or underwent coronary angioplasty or stent implantation or bypass surgery or had a positive calcium score, and you do their lipoproteins, you see they all, almost without exception, have an abundance of small LDL particles, small, low-density lipoprotein. It's called that because when you spin plasma, the clear part of blood down in a centrifuge, the low density stuff goes towards the top and the high density goes towards the bottom. But how do you count the particles there? Well, that, that's why they use cholesterol as an indirect way to quantify. Well, we can measure those particles now and we can say, okay, somebody has 1,855 nanomoles per liter, particle count per volume of small LDL particles. Well, when I started doing all this, that with thousands of patients, the science was clear, not my science. This was other people's science, like uh, Dr. Ron Krause from University of California, Berkeley, and people at Hopkins and University of Toronto, and very good evidence. What foods are responsible for causing these small LDL particles, this ubiquitous uh, marker that cause in people with coronary disease? Wheat, grains, and sugars, period. Not saturated fat, not total fat. Uh, Wheat, grains, and sugars. So knowing this and knowing that uh, people did not want to take statin drugs, a lot of them really do not want to take it, or they have a lot of side effects, I asked them to eliminate wheat, grains, and sugars. And they'd come back, and their small LDL would typically be 
dropped from say 1900 or whatever to zero. It wasn't a little bit better, it was obliterated. But this is when people said to me, you didn't tell me that I would lose 73 pounds. You didn't tell me I'd lose eight inches off my waist and have to stop my blood pressure medicines because my blood pressure dropped so low. I now don't have to take any blood pressure medicines. Or my rheumatoid arthritis is a whole bunch better. Or my psoriasis is better. My hair grew back. <laughs> In other words, I, I was shocked. I was like, I don't know why <laughs> your psoriasis got better. Uh, but it became clear I had stumbled on something. And that's when I asked, well, wh why the hell would take, take out the food that all agencies, American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association, Academy of Nutrition Dietetics, the USDA, the US Department of Health and Human Services, they all agree, you must eat wheat and grains every day, every meal for health. So here we do the opposite and magnificent things happen. Well, it just goes to show you, and our listeners are pretty, pretty sharp group. So um, I always say it's like, Whatever society is doing, if you just do 180 degrees and go the opposite direction, that's probably where 98% of your results is going to come from. You know, if you're watching TV, it's the same thing. If, 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 if they're on TV, 98, 97% chance it's fabricated lies. It's part of system science to confuse people. So there's a reason why all these government agencies are all saying this is because they know it, you know? And whether you think that or not, it doesn't really matter. But the reality is, is the proof's in the pudding. I mean, look around. We have just exploding obesity. You know, I, I used to get upset, um, Dr. Davis, when, you know, you'd hear things about children were being born obese, like overweight and obese. I mean, that's just kind of crazy. And then, and then all of a sudden it was children, all of a sudden, you know, with the diabetes thing. And then there was like another form that went type one, type two, and then type three, and then uh, you know, adult onset diabetes and childhood, they had to actually have a childhood diabetes because children were actually being born with diabetes. And now children are actually being born with cancer. I mean, isn't it time that we just all pause as adults and say, look, we, isn't it time that we take the reins back on our health and we have to make some changes and we kind of let go of all this social conditioning and, and a lot of the garbage in the stores that we've come to, you know, to, to like, it's a part of our life. It's like, you have the lasagna. Well, what's in the noodles? Uh, wheat that's been GMO'd. Or how about if you have a donut? It's in there. Or, you know, you go to some of these, like, vegan sausage products and meat products, vital wheat gluten, you know, main ingredient. I mean, it's just like everywhere people go, they're still putting the crap in their body. And you got to read the labels. I mean, you have to read the labels. Don't read the front of the cover. Because it's it's just a sales job, and that's we've been sold down the road. Another thing I thought was interesting is um, you said that you had to eliminate sugars. Man, is that a, that's hard for people because it's very very similar in structure to cocaine. People don't realize that that the molecular molecular structure of sugar is like only like one molecule off of like cocaine, and it's three times more addictive. And I thought it was fascinating to find out that my stomach and your stomach and everybody's stomach that's listening has only one sugar receptor, yet we have 25 bitter receptors. So we're really programmed to eat things like arugula and kale and dandelion leaves that we'd like to go out and spray Roundup on because they're bad, right? And we've got to kill them dandelions in the yard and poison ourselves. So the world is kind of inverted. We live in a crazy, crazy, crazy world. And again, we're just trying to give people, you know, some awareness so they can live in a real way and navigate this so they don't have to deal with this. And I've seen that in my health practice too. When we get people off of the wheat, 
and off of sugar, of course, they're going to get better. I know that's kind of a big, that was kind of the paleo thing too, was like get off of, get off of grains and, and, and get off of sugars, right? And of course, people are going to get better. Why? Because the standard American diet is so bad. Like you make any changes at all, you're probably going to get some, get some results. All right. So I think it's really interesting when you talk about these LDL particles um, are caused by uh, these wheat and grains and sugars. And you've noticed people um, obviously wrote a book about it called Wheat Belly. I hope you guys will check that out and get a copy of it. Um, just, just really interesting stuff. Okay. So, um, so when, did you say that you went to, you, you said Cleveland, did you go to, were you, were you at the Cleveland clinic? No, I never have anything to do with that place. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Cause you were, okay. Cause I know, I think, um, I think Dr. Esselstein was there, right? You remember that guy? Yeah. Yeah. The heart surgeon, he was like, you know, yanking plaque out of people and, and, no, that's um, not, that's not, the, 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 he was an ENT surgeon, just, he did not understand what he was looking at, and he made false claims. Really? Yeah. What he showed, where he said he regressed heart disease, he did not regress heart disease, he dissolved the clot, or the body dissolved the clot, that's very common, but he didn't know what he was looking at. So people like him and Dean Ornish, who's a primary care doctor who published that data, the Lifestyle Heart Trial, where he claims to have reversed heart disease, he did not because he did not understand what he was doing. And they did, they, the study was misperformed. It had mistakes in it, but he, you know, he, he claims to have reverse coronary disease. You know, I don't, I don't make a stink about that because they're not the enemy, right? The, if there's an no. enemy, it's the pharmaceutical industry, the medical device industry, and the healthcare. And those are the, those are the big people we have to fight, not people who have differences of opinions. But, yeah. And they're but, pushing, but, like, like you said, they, they bring in these hot young girls and hot young guys and they go around and they pay them a hundred thousand a year or more and and they push 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 i mean that's here's the insert read this it's really awesome we got this new drug here's a little read about this and let's go out to dinner and i remember um meeting somebody like that a long time ago and she's like yeah you can meet me over here i, I just got done finishing up dinner with a doctor and um she was telling me all about like how she was like i we have this new drug and i you know, I, my job is to go out and push it. And if they don't, they have to make so many contacts a day and they have to get certain results. Otherwise they get fired. So the, the pharmaceutical salespeople are under a tremendous amount of stress and pressure to push, push, push. So they're just like these well-dressed drug pushers. I mean, is what it really boils down to. And then they train the doctors that are super busy to be um, basically drug pushers in a white coat with a stethoscope, you know, mm -hmm. and that's where we're at today. You know, it's actually worse, Tim, in the device industry. You don't hear about that part because there's not a lot of interface with the public with medical devices. But I'm talking about prosthetic knees and hips and stents and uh, all the de devices you need in the operating room or the cath lab or other procedure rooms. It's a huge, it's a huge industry. It's bigger than the pharmaceutical industry. And those representatives, th these are people making $350,000 a year. And, uh, and they, you know, human nature. You're a middle-aged guy, this doc, right? And this gorgeous supermodel comes in, so wants to talk to you. You know, <laughs> human nature. They they know yeah. how to use it. Yep. Yeah, I remember how it's like when I was doing construction work. The the guy on our crew, that our crew leader would pick. We'd get in his pickup and we drive to the job site, and we always had to drive way the hell over to this damn coffee stand so they could get coffee. And um, there was just some cute girls working there. You know, that's what it boiled down to. And 
Because I was asking, I'm like, why the hell do you guys finally? I was like, why do we drive Claire over here? And they're like, isn't it obvious these girls are smoking hot? It's like it, rather than getting it, you know, down the street from some dude slipping the coffee, these guys would, I mean, literally drive like 10 miles out of their way to get coffee from these beautiful women. I mean, that's what it both. So you're right. There's, there's some human nature in there and it's like, they're just taking advantage of us on all levels. So, all right. So we're take a quick break. We get back. I want to get into some of the more problems that, so if you're listening to this and you're having health issues and this next segment, I really want you to tune in because I want you to think about maybe this is, Part of part of the problem, part of the root issue that it's causing those issues that you're facing today in your health. We'll be right back. The average person today is carrying around six to twelve pounds of impacted fecal material and mucoid plaque in the small and large intestine. That's gross, but worse, it's super unhealthy. That is why we created Gut Detox Formula. This ancient 1,000-year-old formula from India gently micro-cleanses the intestines, removing all of that funk and gunk and junk that is destroying your health. The best part? It is super gentle, and there is no diarrhea like most gut detox products, and it's made with the same chemical-free body promise, no stimulants, 100% nature, and always made in the USA. Get yours today at chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. I'm back with Dr. William Davis, author of the book, The Wheat Belly. And we just talked about his backstory. Um, pretty amazing stuff, what you found out. And then, you know, through your discovery, it's really cool to me because it's usually there's always something really pushing people. And I know with like your mother's death, uh, you know, after she had, she went through Western medicine, was doing all the right stuff. And knowing what you know now, you man, you know that you could have helped helped her if she would have wanted it, if she would have taken it, you know, advice. Sometimes loved ones won't listen to you, but if they would have, because I was always regretting that because like my buddy on my baseball team who died, I'm like, God, if I would have known now, then what I know now and he would have listened, man, he would still be alive playing ball with us today and those three boys would have still had their dad. You know, I've had many thoughts about this kind of stuff. Um, just people that I've known that I've, we've lost, personal friends and stuff like that, if they... If I just would have known, but that's hindsight's 2020 uh, life goes on and we have to use those um, life experiences to fuel us to move forward to help other people. So, you know, they don't lose their, their friends, and their moms. Right. So, all right. So let's get into like, what are some of the health issues that you're seeing for that people are experiencing with, um, you know, by the overconsumption of these messed up wheats and sugars? Well, several things to know about, so people often think that it's all about gluten and it's not. So there is a protein within gluten called gliadin. That's one of the key components. Uh, so one thing to bear in mind, Tim, is that the components of wheat uh, are in, largely indigestible. That is, most of the proteins are either indigestible, only partially digestible, because humans just don't have the enzymes to break down the proteins in seeds of grasses. That's what wheat is. That's what corn, millet, rye, barley, they're all seeds of grasses. And you know, ruminants like cows and goats have the uh, enzymes, but we don't. And so funny things happen. The gliadin protein, for instance, rather than being broken down into single amino acids, like all other proteins, is broken down into small uh, fragments, four or five amino acid long peptide fragments. And these are very unique in that they can cross into the brain and they bind to the opioid receptors. 
They don't make you high, though. They stimulate appetite. And as you mentioned, that's mm. a big food caught on in the mid-1980s that they had an appetite stimulant on their hands. And let's put it in everything. And that's what that's where part's part of the reason why people can't help themselves. Mm. They are they'll have a big bowl of pasta, they're filled to bursting, but they're still oddly hungry because there's an appetite stimulant. It increases calorie consumption, it makes you incessantly hungry. There are people who are prone to such things as bulimia or binge eating disorder, people who have 24-hour day food obsessions. By the way, when those people go wheat and grain-free, they are hugely changed. <laughs> Their lives are completely changed. Most of us just have a decrease in appetite when you do this. And there's also an opioid withdrawal syndrome. There's about three to five days of nausea, headache, uh, depression, um, uh, and you have to get through it. But once you're through it, you feel fabulous. Uh, that's just one component. There's other components. How long is that? How long does that withdrawal take? About three to five days. Okay. That's not everybody gets it, oddly, not quite sure why, but about 50% of people who do it will get that. There's another component called wheat germagglutinin. It's completely impervious to human digestion. It goes in intact in the mouth, it comes out in the toilet intact, but it's a very potent bowel toxin. And farmers love it because it's a pest resistant compound. It, it protects the wheat plant from insects and fungi and molds. And so they select breeds with more wheat germagglutinin content over the decades, not recognizing that it's a very potent bowel toxin to humans. They also enriched it in phytates because phytates are also pest resistant. And so they pick strains that are big, uh, have greater and greater content of phytates, but phytates bind all minerals like calcium, magnesium, manganese, iron, and zinc. You pass it out in the toilet. A lot of ladies with iron deficiency anemia, unresponsive to oral iron, injectable iron, blood transfusions, they're getting bone marrow biopsies, but their hemoglobin normalizes within two weeks of stopping wheat. So we're told we, you need to eat whole grains for B vitamin and fiber, uh, not telling you that it causes profound mineral deple depletion. You pass those minerals out into the toilet. Uh, now, the irony of all this is that because the, the proteins are either indigestible or only partially digestible, but there's an except there's an, something called amylopectin A. That's the carbohydrate of wheat that is highly digestible. And that's why wheat products raise blood sugar higher than nearly all other foods. Ironically, the only foods, common foods that raise blood sugar higher than wheat, cornstarch, rice flour, tapioca starch, and potato flour, the ingredients in gluten-free foods. Mm. <laughs> it's like a cruel joke. Yeah. Okay. So there was something you said about after the three to five day detox. Okay. So let's, let's break this down. So we've got these, um, these gliadins, the proteins and the gluten. This is a huge takeaway guys right here. So it's an appetite stimulant. So it's like forcing you. It's just like, like one more thing. Like maybe you have a yeast overgrowth and the candidas hijacked your vagus nerve. It's like, go eat, go eat, go eat, you know? And, and you, you could, you know, and then you've got this glide in coming in and you said it binds to the opioid receptors in your brain and basically stimulates appetite. Mm -hmm. What was the second protein you were talking about and what was, what did it do or nope, something? There was, there's wheat germagglutinin. Yeah. Where, what was that one again? Can you recap that? Yeah. So that's, that's the, um, uh, it, it's pest resistant for the wheat plant. It protects the wheat plant. 
But if I took a, just a milligram of wheat germaglutinin, purified wheat germaglutinin, and gave it to a rat, a lab rat, it would destroy its intestine tract. It will denude the entire lining. Oh, so that's what that's the one I was going to talk about. It's, is this the one that the, that's bad for the bowels? Mm-hmm. You 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 gave a phrase about that. What was it? Not sure. Something bowel. It was around bowel. Something bowel. It's like a bowel um, toxin or something. Is that what you were saying? It's a bowel toxin. Yeah, it's a very. Yeah, I think that bowel. was it. A bowel toxin. So when you say a bowel toxin, what it's doing is it's going in and disrupting the gut microbiome. It does that too. But it all so the the small intestine is lined with villi, little hair-like projections Correct. for absorption. It denudes them. It destroys them. You heal, but uh, and so so modern wheat has higher wheat germaglutinin content than traditional strains of wheat, and it's not for evil purpose. The problem is that agribusiness and farmers do things to suit their needs, mm-hmm. with no thought of what happens to humans who, who consume their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's probably wheat seed salespeople, just like there's pharmaceutical sales reps and they're going to the farmer saying, Hey, you need to get this strain because you know, you can, it, you know, it's more pest resistant and that'll make you more bucks because you'll have more of a yield. And they're like, okay, we'll do that one. And Most they, people they don't say nothing them. about, Hey, it's, it's going to create a bowel toxin. that's going to destroy America's health, you know, or the people that were eating this stuff's health. That's never brought up. Nobody's even talking about that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Crazy, Most crazy, people crazy. wouldn't even recognize a wheat field anymore because uh, the modern wheat is, you know, we all think of that five foot tall uh, uh, plant, shoulder high to a, a grown man. Now it's 18 inch tall, very short and stocky, thick stalk, thick, big, big seeds, big seed head. It's been massively changed. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, not, not for evil purpose, but for increased yield per acre. And the current crop of wheat, which is so-called high-yield semi-dwarf strains, uh, yield about four to as much as eight-fold more per acre. That's why farmers love it, because they're all about yield. They're going to make money. Uh, but they did not recognize that that massively changed plant, genetically and biochemically, is very toxic to humans. So what's like, what's the point of even growing the damn stuff? You know what I mean? It's just like, just you're, it's a, it's like a silent killer. It's just like toxins, automobile exhaust, jet fuel, um, glyphosate, all these things that are out there, that are poisons. Your, you know, your glues off gassing in the house, all these, you can't kind of see, you can't see this stuff, but it's, it's just right there. It's like right under your nose. It's like a big white elephant in the room that think about, about all the wheat fields, and you're right, because the wheat, the wheat around here is not very tall. I mean, they do the same thing with sunflowers. They had used to sunflowers. I remember when I was a kid, freaking 10, 12, 15 feet tall. Now they're like three foot tall. They do that because they don't want them to blow over. So they grow them so they're shorter so that they don't blow over and they have a better yield, right? So anytime man starts manipulating nature, that's where the problems really start happening. And then look at the ramifications. I mean, people don't have to look far. You can probably just, most people can look in the mirror. Uh, maybe not the people listening to this podcast because they're hopefully they've been following along and and um, you know cleaning themselves up from the inside out and taking the reins of their health and becoming their own doctor and they're self on the self healing journey. But if you're new and you're listening and you're you know and you're not healthy, a lot of this is really isn't your fault. Like it's your environment, it's what you're eating, 
um, what you're buying at the grocery store that you think somebody's looking out for you. You think there's a government agency that's there to protect you. I mean, how else could it be in a public place? That's what the Food and Drug Administration's for. You know, I had this conversation with a guy, Dr. Davis, about uh, we were talking about masks and, you know, mandates and all this kind of stuff. And and um, he was I, I was we were disagreeing about masks. I have studies and he's like, well, you know, I, I think I'll stick with NIH and, and Fauci and, you know, the FDA. And he goes, I and he said, I said, well, you know, they're corrupt. And he's like, he's like, Tim, I know a lot of people at the FDA. I work with them. They're great people. I said, well, not the worker bees. It's the people at the top. You know, they're corrupt. He's like, no. And I was like, well, then let's, and I said, they're the Food and Drug Administration, right? And he's like, yeah. I said, so, you know, um, if, what, what about, you know, what's, what's, why are we, why, why is 80% of us overweight? Why are half of us dying of cancer and all this obesity and all these health issues and kids are getting sick and kidney dialysis clinics are popping up all over the place? And, and, um, you know, people, young kids can't even get pregnant. It's becoming an issue today, like a big issue. So all these fertility clinics are popping up. I go, why, why are we de-evolving as a species? Like, well, he goes, I think that's just the food we're eating. You know, the food's, food's killing us. And I said, so you have to remember it's the food and drug administration. So you can't, they can't be good boys and girls on one side, but remember they're doing the food too. Are they just morons on that part? They're really good on the medicine, but they're really bad on the food. And then there wasn't, there was some silence there for a while because the guy had to process that, right? So the point is, is that you are the only person that really cares about yourself. I mean, there's people like myself and Dr. Davis out there. Obviously, we're here caring and loving on you because we're trying to get this information and just like, wake up, come on. It's so simple. Like you, you just need, there's things you need to learn about and avoid and just replace them with something else that's a much better fit for you and your body and your digestive tract and your intestinal villi and you're going to get your life back and you're going to feel better than you thought for years. And you're like, wow, I didn't know it was that simple, you know, and then you get the satisfaction of healing yourself and feeling good. Okay. So I'm really excited about, um, what you just taught me as far as the, um, those bowel toxins and stuff, and also about the op opioid receptor. So it's, it's not just the gluten. There's other stuff in wheat that's really bad. And, and then the carbohydrates that you mentioned in there, those, um, cause they, they spike the sugars really, really good. Right. So, there's a lot going on when you when you got this genetically modified wheat. And I sprout everything, dude. So I, I'm a big sprout. I grow about 70% of my food. And I can tell you, I've went through, I've seen spring wheat, hard red winter wheat. You know, really, if you get a really good wheat, the wheat kernels are actually really tiny. That's heirloom, hasn't been messed with, man. If you see wheat kernels and they're big and fat and huge, um, that stuff's been manipulated. So that's a good way to tell if you're sprouting because we we grow a lot of wheatgrass juice and we and we and we juice that and consume that and that's a really good um, it's a really good uh, health health food it's pretty amazing actually okay so um, was there anything else um, that people should be looking out for when it comes to you know wheat and and what it and symptoms or what it can do to the body it's a long list Tim so the amylopectin A raises blood sugar. So it's a big contributor to type two diabetes, acceleration of aging. When you have high blood glucose, you glycate proteins. That is you glucose modify proteins. In the eyes, it can cause opacities. In the lens, cataracts. In the skin, it causes aging spots and thinning. 
In the kidneys, it causes kidney dysfunction and then kidney failure over time. In joints, it causes your cartilage to become brittle and wear and tear, leads to arthritis. So that's, that's just amylopectin A, big, big. And of course, it grows visceral fat. That is the love handle type fat in your waist that also is paralleled by fat surrounding your organs, which is extremely inflammatory. Wheat germ gluten responds for a huge amount of gastrointestinal problems. Uh, the gliadin that stimulates appetite. People can't control themselves and they eat. You know, when you see a 280 pound woman who can't stop eating, you know, there's something wrong. In a wild setting, that woman would weigh 105 pounds. Yet in this modern setting, she can't control herself. And a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of it is from gliadin-derived opioid peptides. So, but the irony, of course, is not only is it terrible, but we're told by all government agencies and other agencies that you must include it in every meal. So it's the dietary, modern dietary guidelines are so awful that, uh, you know, people try to change the dietary guidelines, but uh, they've not been very successful because the heavy hand of industry is just too well-funded. When the FDA says things like, we're going to open up the dietary guidelines uh, to open discussion to the public for two weeks, to their credit, they, they try at least. But who shows up? Well, you, your listeners have jobs, you have, you have families, and you don't, you don't fly to Washington, D.C. or Bethesda, Maryland and spend a week or two lobbying for some um, uh, uh, factor in diet. But industry does it. They send all the big ag, agribusiness does it. Big food does it. They send representatives to lobby for their product. We must have more grains in the diet. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Oh, it's just unbelievable. So dietary well, guidelines, Tim, are irrelevant. Yeah, don't pay attention to that stuff. All right. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you could go on and point out more of the negative stuff, but I think people get it right. It's just, it's just messed up. All right. It's just, it's just something that's screwed up. All right. So let's do this. We'll take another break. We're going to come back and we're going to get into the solutions of what you can do to clean up your gut, get away from wheat, run, 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 hide, get away from it <laughs> and, and get your health back. We'll be right back. Turmeric has been used for thousands of years all across India and Southeast Asia and is one of the best anti-inflammatory compounds on earth. Now you can get these incredible benefits with the new chemical-free body turmeric 100 liquid drops. This ethically sourced breakthrough solution absorbs over 100 times better than regular turmeric products, eliminating the need to add black pepper. Turmeric 100 helps against inflammation and pain and is made with the same chemical-free body promise. No stimulants, 100% natural, and always made in the USA. Get yours today at chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. I'm back with Dr. William Davis, author of The Wheat Belly. It's a book, and um, it'll be a good read. I think it's something that people could read this and, you know, light bulbs could. And maybe, like I said, our listeners are pretty smart. So, But it could be something where maybe you have a friend or family member that, you know, you can't convince them of doing anything. But, like, wow, you're not going to believe about what I read in this book. And they could talk about, did you know... But there's this thing called gliadin. It's a protein, and it actually stimulates your appetite, and um, it binds to your opioid receptors in your brain. Like you should check this out. Like this, and I, I, I did this, and and man, I'm feeling good, right? So books like that, documentaries are also really good for people to watch because it, that way they can consume the content um, in in a comfortable space and not feel like they're pressured by somebody. So 
Anyway, I think that's good. All right. So now we talked about your backstory. We talked about all the problems that this genetically modified hybridized wheat is causing. It's sprayed with pesticides, fungicides, herbicides, and all of the just it's just like a train wreck in the body. My God, it's just terrible. Um, they should they they should they should call they should call it the gut train wreck. I mean, that's what it should be called. We'll create, we'll create a cereal like that. Destroyyourgut.com. <laughs> you know, just get, eat wheat. Eat wheat. You know, it'll it'll mess you up really bad. Now, here's something that's interesting, and I want to talk about this. My clients, I've coached a lot of people personally and in group setting. They eat wheat over here, and they're all messed up. They go over to Europe, and they seem to eat it, and they don't have a lot of problems. What's up with that? Well, there's different strains and different effects, and maybe they don't have as much glyphosate as we do, but we shouldn't interpret that to mean that wheat in Europe is good for you so, because uh, they still have diabetes. They still have bad teeth cavities. They still have, I mean, they still have a lot of problems, even though you don't perceive some of the effects. Uh, you know, if, if we go back, if people often say, well, gee, if modern wheat's such a problem, how about traditional strains? In fact, let's go back all the way to emmer wheat of the Bible, or even before that, einkorn wheat of pre-biblical times. That was the first wheat consumed by humans that grew wild in the Middle East. Well, what happened to those first humans who, in a desperate time, turned to seeds of grasses? You know, it, it's testimony to the cleverness of humans that they saw grass and somehow converted it to food. But how do you do that? You isolate the seed from the husk. Then, back then, you gather a bunch of these seeds, you dry them in the sun, you grind them with a stone, and then you take your stone bowl over a fire and add water and you make a porridge. That was how they first ate wheat. Well, what happened to those people who did that? They developed deficiencies, especially of iron, because there's evidence in the bony record for such things as parotid hyperstosis, which is evidence for iron deficiency. There was a doubling of knee arthritis and there was a massive increase in tooth decay. So remarkably, Tim, before the consumption of the seeds of grasses, there was almost no tooth decay. One to 3% of all teeth recovered uh, showed uh, cavities or abscess formation or, uh, or other problems. So the vast majority of people back then had perfect mouths of teeth all throughout life. And people say, oh, they only live till 30. No, they, many live till 50, 60, 70. But there was a lot of childhood mortality that throat that skews the, the right. statistics. Yeah, living longer thing is BS with prenatal care and advances keeping people alive. A mother that mm -hmm. would have died and a young child that would have died based on somebody lived 100. It, it skews the numbers now. We're not living younger or old longer, and we're definitely our quality of life sucks. It's going down the tubes. So what's remarkable about that, Tim, even more so, is that these people didn't have tooth decay to speak of, but didn't have toothbrushes or fluoridated toothpaste or dental floss or dentists, yet they had full mouths of uh, perfectly aligned teeth when they turned to seeds of grasses. And this was true in the Middle East with consumption of einkorn wheats. It was also true sub-Saharan Africa with consumption of millet. It was also true in Central America with consumption of maize, of, of corn. This is about four to 8,000 years ago. So with consumption of the seeds of grasses, the amylopectinate caused, caused an explosion in tooth decay. 16 to 49% of all teeth recovered showed decay, abscess formation, loss, or misalignment. So Is that the substance in the wheat that binds to the iron and stuff like that and pulls it out of the body? That's the phytates. Phytates, okay, we read that. 
So in, cool. in other words, consumption, even of traditional strains of wheat, made serious problems for humans. But, you know, it kept people alive. If they were starving and didn't have, you know, meat or organs or fruit or roots to eat, they would turn mm -hmm. to seeds of grass and it kept them alive. But they did not recognize that uh, while it kept you alive because of some calories, uh, it destroys your health long term, even traditional strains. Okay. So here's been my, and I'm, I'm just straight up about everything. So for, I've been coaching people on what I've learned, which is stay away from wheat, rice, oats, barley, corn, soy, black beans, all these things that have been messed around with you know, hybridization and stuff like this for a long time. And, um, but I have steered people. I said, what you should look at is things more like Kamut and spelt and amarath and teff and even millet i've talked about this but the key is is that i sprout everything which means i take those seeds i soak them in water and then you know i know that when that happens with wheat that the gluten converts to a simple sugar that's why a lot of people can have it that way this is what i've been telling people and eating it in moderation not like having huge like bowls of pasta and stuff like this but but the key for me has been heirloom non-messed with by man and but sprouted sprouted so i'm curious to find out what your thoughts are on on that if, if is there is there any even work done or studies done or anything done that you see on sprouted grains versus unsprouted not not a whole lot that's a problem what you're doing with sprouting is you're just disabling some of the toxic effects but you haven't eliminated sadly tim you know i think it's 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 a little bit hazardous when you try to force something to become consumed by humans that was never intended for human consumption. You know, we're now what makes this easy though, is one, you lose the appetite stimulating properties of the glide and derived opioid peptides. And we also reject dietary guidelines to cut fat, cut saturated fat. That's nonsense. There never was good evidence to support that. Even though the American Heart Association, their great wisdom reiterated their stand on fat, and they actually said this, based on the studies conducted in the 1950s and 1960s, we stand by our advice to, uh, to cut fat and saturated fat. And the only more modern advice they have is epidemiologic advice, which is tantamount to no, to, to no evidence at all. Yeah. So what I'm thinking, see, for me is like, I, I grew up on a farm, so I have common sense and I'm actually having a moment right now. I'm really, I'm really thinking about this because I, you know, here's the deal, man. I have, I've been through, I've been on, I have six, I went through six different water systems. If somebody shows me a better way, I will upgrade, I will change and I will move forward with my life. So for me, I'm thinking about, okay, let's go back 10,000 years. I'm hungry or my great, 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 super great grandfather's running around, right? And he's hungry. And what would he eat? Well, let's say if there was a stock of heirloom wheat sitting there and it's he and he takes it. He's and if he if he puts those grains, those hard grains in his mouth and chews them, what's gonna happen? Well, he can. He's probably gonna crack a tooth. They're like rocks. And if he swallows them, he's not gonna get any nutrition on them. They're probably gonna come out the same way they went in. You would actually have to process that. Right? It has to be processed. You know, they like you said, they grind it and then they add water and yeast and sugar and salt and they cook it at high temperatures and they make things called breads and pastas and all this thing and we eat it and we think it's but in reality in nature it would crack a tooth and it would you'd poop it out the same way it went in so i agree with what you just said as far as a wild creature walking around as a human 
it's something that maybe we would only eat if we we're super starving. Now the whole sprouted thing would be like, well, okay, it's fall. It came up, it's hard. And then it rained, it got knocked over maybe and it got rained and got wet and started to sprout. It got soft and then somebody could eat that. Right. But how often would that be? It would be in the fall. It would be for a very short period of time, right? Because it would come and go. And there would be a very short period of time where those grains would fall down. They would get wet and you would be able to eat them. And like you said, it would it would lose a lot of it. But it would be a very short period of time, right? And that's why it's. I think it's really important. You know, the indigenous people that are eating over 100 up to 300 different varieties of foods are so healthy because they're. that's where we're programmed for. We're programmed to eat lots of different things. Unfortunately, today, the average person consumes 52 of the same foods over and over again on average about 14 meals. Think about it. What do you have? For the listeners, what do you what do you eat? It's the same fourteen things over and over and over again. It's a very our diversity and our food choices is very low. So, I'm just gonna noodle on that for a while um, about the sprouted stuff. It's not like I'm like eat bowls and bowls of sprouted grains, but you know it's like we sprout wheat and I have them. You know maybe two three times a week. Take a little handful and chew it so they can get the B vitamins, the superoxide dismutase. There's some benefits in in the sprouted grains, but we usually take it to the next step grow it into a grass juice, take the chlorophyll out, and we juice that and the benefits of that. So anyway, I appreciate your thoughts on on the sprouted stuff. Um, that was uh, some good insight. So um, what what other, any other types of solutions you're seeing with, um, let's talk about alternatives. Like if somebody's not going to eat wheat and things made of wheat, what would you recommend? Because people got to eat something. So it's really a rejection, Tim, of all seeds of grasses just as, as unsuitable for homo sapien consumption. And so, but it means that, as you point out, if, if you and I got up from the hut cave or jungle floor <laughs> this morning, you grab your club ax spear or bow and arrow and you go out in the hunt and you look for a gazelle that's injured or you look for the elderly one that can't keep up with the pack or the baby that wandered off. You know, humans don't attack lions. You attack the, the, the weak and vulnerable. But you, you kill it, you open its abdomen, you eat, eat some of the stomach and intestines, and then you drag the carcass back to your camp. You roast it over fire, you eat the brain, the tongue, the heart, the liver, the spleen, pancreas, and some of the meat. Uh, and then uh, while the, late, the women dig in the dirt for roots and tubers and uh, gather berries and, and nuts, that's what humans ha have evolved to eat. So it's you know, every creature has a style of eating programmed into its genetic code. So if you saw a lion tear apart a wildebeest and you said, that's terrible, we're going to make that lion eat kale and spinach. Well, what's going to happen to the lion? It's going to die in short order. Every creature has a style of eating and the style of eating that is programmed into our genetics over 3 million years of adaptation is exactly that. So seeds of grasses were added about 10,000 years. People say, oh, we've been eating you know, wheat and grains forever. No, we haven't. It was uh, less than 0.4%. Less than 0.4%. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, like, think about it. Like, if we have just a simple common sense thing, is if we have 25 bitter receptors in our stomach, that tells me we're genetically programmed to eat bitters. Lots of bitter green leafy vegetables, tubers, roots, nuts beans these whatever apples berries the things in the fall and then you know and then from time to time we'd eat a little bit of meat because people don't realize like they think they can just go to the grocery store and get a ribeye out in nature 
it ain't that easy. Now, I consider I back in the day when I was hunting, there was only one other guy I consider was as good as hunter as I was. I was always like just very it's ego talking basically, but but I shot everything and that was a big thing. It was I, I try to be good at whatever I do and I, we'd have competitions and stuff. So, but even as good as I was, I didn't get an animal every single day that I went out. Right. Sometimes, it, you know, these animals, they don't want to die. They're going to run and they can see better and they can smell better and they can hear better um, than you. So, you know, indigenous people, the way I see it, they mostly were eating mostly plant-based diet, but they'd have a little bit of meat from time to time. And that seems to be, like the common thread with the blue zones, the people that live the longest, they have the most centurions. They're 80% plant-based diet or greater, but they do eat a little bit of meat. Um, they have lifelong friends and they respect their elders and they move their body daily. Oh, recipe for success, right? So, um, all right. So what you're saying is reject seeds of grasses and just get back to basically nature, eating fresh foods that we would exactly. normally eat that we would normally eat as a human for 3 million years. Foods that are least changed, as you, as you point out, by... by Wild. Uh, yeah. So back to things as much as you can. You know, have a garden, avocados, eggs, things that are not changed, not wrapped in cellophane with a long list of ingredients. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of those ingredients are very harmful. For instance, pr food preservatives are antimicrobial. So they kill microbes in food, but they also kill microbes in you. And that has very serious effects on, for instance, the intestinal microbiome, as do emulsifying agents. Uh, ice cream, for instance, uh, people are often surprised to hear that ice cream, common ice cream is filled with emulsifying agents. And that's to keep it, it's not for evil purpose. It's there to keep it from separating. Everyone's had the experience of letting ice cream melt and then refreeze it, and it's kind of a mess, it turns into ice and, and solids. So they add polysorbate 80, carboxymethylcellulose, carrageenan, and other mixing or emulsifying agents. Well, those agents are very toxic to humans, and ice cream's filled with them. So we go on and on, Tim, but it's, it's food processed by humans with additives and other factors that have massive disruptive effects on the human body. Yeah, it's like, here's, here's a fun one since we're talking about, um, since we're talking about ice cream. Uh, um, and a lot of people don't know this, but there's actually the, uh, the anal gland of beavers and they get the secretion out of that. And that's, they use that in flavoring and like ice cream. Like I think it's vanilla. Um, I was trying to look it up here really quick. I remember. So yeah, other vanilla flavored products. So when it's, it's, um, uh, so the two, the beaver glands, they make an additive called castorium that's used in ice cream and other vanilla flavored products. So the next time you're licking a vanilla ice cream cone, just think of licking a anal gland of a beaver. I mean, think about that. Like this is the level of craziness that's in our food supply today. Like when you, you think about that, like it blows my mind. I'm going to, Hey, my grandpa's like, Hey, let's go to the ice cream shop. I'm going to go hang out with grandpa. I'm going to have a good time. And we're going to lick some anal glands of beavers. You don't think about that. If anybody actually knew that, like when I learned that I'm, I, I'm done. I'm not touching. I, I won't touch ice, you know, the regular ice cream. I mean, I've done some plant-based ones, but you still have to be careful. Are, are they using, you know, is that, 
did they mess with the labeling laws and skirt around it so they could get the beaver anal gland, which is a uh, animal based product into a plant based flavoring for a, and get around that? You know, I don't know. It's just like it's like we have to really be careful. We have to be our own guardians and, and the gatekeepers of what goes in our mouth and what goes in our children's mouth. Because if you don't know, believe me, there is crazy stuff. And this is just the tip of the iceberg what I'm talking about here. There's there's things that are opiate derivatives that are being put into your children's cereal to further addict your children. They're not even on the label. Like they have chemists, they pay two fifty, three hundred fifty thousand a year to put these opiate derivatives. Think about that. Opiates in your children's cereal. It's kind of bizarre. Well, Dr. Davis, um, uh, I really appreciate you coming on today. I hope we made a good case for the listeners that they should really rethink everything wheat, right? And, and, and seeds and grasses and stuff like that. And just here's the deal, guys, is that it's all talk, just me and him talking right now. You need to go take action and just see how it works for you. You have to have first-person experience on this. You know, we could be, maybe we're just BSers, you know, who knows? You have to find out if it works for you. That's the most important thing. So my goal, as always in this podcast, is to find people and bring information to you so that you can get inspired and educated enough to like, wow, I'm going to I'm gonna make some changes in my life. And then you make those changes, and then you can see if it works for you. I'm pretty confident it's going to work for you, but you have to, you have to be the judge of that. And then, then nobody can take that away from you. It doesn't matter how smart somebody is or how many colleges or doctorate degrees they have. You'll know what actually works for you. Dr. Davis, thanks again. And do you have any parting words for our listeners? No, except to say, Tim, I encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. You've been doing many years because, as you know, big media does not want people like you and me talking on TV, radio or print because we have a message that is antagonistic to healthcare and the pharmaceutical industry. So keep on doing what you're doing. Truth reigns, my friend. Truth reigns. I appreciate what you're doing to defend public health um, and bring awareness to people so they can make changes in their life to improve themselves. Because the bottom line is, is that the information that we share is not in the mainstream. You're not going to find this um, on your local news station. It's not going to be on NBC, CBS, ABC. It won't be in. The, it's not going to be in print. It's going to be hidden, and that's why everybody's so sick. So the truth reigns, and there's a lot of podcasts and people. You know, it's really interesting, Dr. Davis. I, I'm literally, I've talked to so many people that just said the hell with Western medicine because they were so frustrated, not for, not for critical care. You know, you get in an accident, that kind of stuff. Cause that's where it shines, uh, trauma care, but for the chronic issues and right, you know, three and a half years of living in hell as a client said, and they decided to just take matters into their own hands and they started getting educated and listening to a lot of podcasts. And then trying things out and then things started working for them. Things started working for their children. Right. And then some of those people I've actually had on my show, I've actually had our, some of our clients on, I love having clients on. And then they tell their stories. It's just like real people that heard from, you know, redneck Tim that just kind of figured this out on his own and uh, they're getting results too. And, and then they get to tell the world about it. And then like, People around them are like, what are you doing? Like we had this one, uh, this one couple that came on and they, their, their child had um, autism after the symptoms started right after the MMR vaccine. And, oh, no, no, that's not that. Oh, no, 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 no. And, but there's no solution. Just deal with it. That's you, your son has autism. There's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing you can do. Basically like it's nope. It wasn't caused by anything we do. There's nothing you can do about it. Live with it. And they were living in hell. And then they, 
you know, got the child off of wheat. He improved. They got the child off of dairy. He improved. They started putting a good probiotic in the child to rebuild his gut microbiome. They learned that. He improved. They got him on a high-quality CBD product. He improved. This is actually a protocol that we learned uh, for, uh, from, for autism people. Uh, again, not a doctor, not making recommendations. And then, um, and then he was listening to another guy's podcast, and the guy said, well, you know, there's a lot of heavy metals in, in, in the world today, plus actually in vaccines, thimerosal, the mercuries, and stuff like this. And he's like, wow, I want to get those metals out of my child and see how that works. And he, we have a product called Toxin Detox, and he had been researching all of the different natural herbs and ingredients that chelate and pull tox, heavy metals out of the human body, and they happen to all be in our product. So he started giving his child a third of the dose because his kid was like four. And within, I think he said like within 30 days, he actually started talking again. And within six months, they had a complete reversal after stacking, no wheat, no dairy, good probiotics, um, healthier, fresher foods, um, the CBDs and, and doing that uh, toxin detox product. And guess what? They got their child back, and um, which was also good for the, his older brother because the older brother had developed a tremendous amount of anxiety because the younger brother would just lose his, I mean, he'd just lose his shit and like start bashing his own head into the concrete and just doing outbursts and crazy stuff. And these people were, you know, a hairstylist and a cop, you know, they're good, hardworking, working class folks. So anyway, I hope this episode illustrates a perfect example of you getting awareness of something that's not working in the human body. It's an easy fix. Stop putting it in. And look for things that replace it that aren't that aren't you know seed based, um, especially that have been genetically modified hybrid, and that you can take the reins of your own health and um, and heal yourself. So until next time, uh, change yourself, change your world, and we will see you guys all again real soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening again to the Health Hero Show. I'm your host Tim James, and remember, change yourself, change your world. We'll see you again on the next episode. Talk to you soon. You have just listened to the Health Hero Show with Tim James. <laughs>